Hey guys, this is AC, and you're listening to Brown Men Won't Jump. Howdy how y'all, Aswee here. Welcome to another episode of Brown Men Won't Jump. Today, we're doing part two of our top 15 NBA players for this year's playoffs list. So let's get right into it. So we've gone through all top sevens, and let's just briefly say who our next three guys are, so to round out our top 10. And then from there, we can talk about differences we have or players we haven't already talked about. Like if we've already mentioned that player, we won't go through that part again. But so I'll start. I got Nikola Jokic as my number eight player. We've talked about him already. I have Joel Embiid as my number nine player. And my number 10 player is someone that none of us have yet mentioned in detail, and that is James Harden. What about you guys? For me, Jokic was 8, Embiid 9, Luka 10. So I had Dame for 8, Giannis at 9, and CP3 at 10. And I probably should have swapped him and Harden, but that's fine because they both deserve slander. So for me, I actually have Jimmy Butler at eight. I have Damian Lillard at nine, and I have Bam Adebayo at ten. So Anu, you mentioned Jimmy Butler, who you have at number eight. You're the only one of us who has him in our top ten. Kind of tell us why you picked him. Sure. Yeah. So when I look at Jimmy Butler, I'm going to be honest with you guys. I was like so surprised at what I saw last year. I think in terms of the way he plays, he's sort of like behind Kawhi in terms of this like tier of like a two-way player. I think this last year's playoff run was ridiculous. He had the average 22 points, seven rebounds, six assists, but I think he played bigger than his stats actually showed. For starters, he I felt like he was a much better playmaker during that playoff run. He was able to make a lot of the the right reads, consistently making the right reads and making the right plays when the opportunities presented itself. He's not like, I guess, like a LeBron or a Jokic who's like these crazy gifted passers, even like Luka Doncic for that matter. But he's very good at making the right plays when the opportunity is there. He has an ability to take and make a lot of difficult shots. And with that, he's shown that he's able to kind of carry a team offensively on the backs of really great performances. Defensively, he's as good as they come. He's not afraid to put his body on the line to make great hustle plays. And I feel like a lot of stars in today's NBA don't really play that hard, which is like very nice and refreshing to see. And again, I feel like I might be a little bit on the recency bias sort of idea right here. But I, I I really feel like I want to be on this Jimmy Butler hype train because I feel like in playoff basketball, when the games really matter, he's a guy who is very good at locking in. And I feel like he's a guy that other teams really don't want to play against for what he brings to the table. I've been a huge fan of former Sixer Jimmy Butler for a very long time. Even back when the Sixers were tanking, I kept telling AC, man, if we could get Jimmy Butler. You know, people use that phrase, oh, well, does this person have a dog in them? Man, Jimmy Butler is like a lion. He's an alpha male of alpha males. He has that why not attitude of Russell Westbrook. If you remember what he did, even in the 2019 Raptors Sixer series, where he basically tied up the game until Kawhi hit that dagger. You saw what he did in the playoffs last year and how he took the Lakers to game six. So I think Jimmy Butler is an incredible playoff player. 
but the problem is we have a relatively small sample size. And while we saw just how great he can be in the past two playoffs, and I assume we will see the same moving forward, I find it hard to put him higher than a guy like Damian Lillard who has consistently balled out in the playoffs and been a clutch player. So I don't have Jimmy Butler as high as you, Anu. I have him as number 12. Yeah, I have incredible respect for Jimmy Butler and what he did last year. But it's almost as if when Anu says he was surprised to see it, I think that's an indication of where we think his actual abilities are relative to what he did last year. Maybe that was just a one-off year in the perfect system with shooting all around him, excellent coaching that optimized what he can do. He's a beast, right? That's what his situation was in Miami. But in this exercise... He may not be on a a team that accentuates all those skills perfectly. And he's the kind of player, because of his limitations as a shooter, that he can't play with a lot of other guys who can't shoot. And that limits him in in some ways versus some of those other players. For many years, I always wondered who was better between him and Paul George. Paul George, who has a game that's much more adaptable and you could put in a lot of other teams because of his shooting ability. And Jimmy Butler, in theory, would, would be worse in that way. But I think Lasher at least made it pretty clear that he was above someone like a Paul George just because of the way he's able to take over games both offensively and defensively. You know, through a couple of games in the series, he actually played even the likes of LeBron to a draw, which basically never happens, at least this stage of LeBron. So he was a beast, but I have him at number 12. Well, I don't have anything to say about Jimmy Butler. I just want to say Paul George puts the swine in swine flu. <laughs> <laughs> Eric and his regular PG slander. Wait, hold up, Eric. Do you have something against Paul George? You just uh, just having fun with this? Oh, I I think the man is like grossly overrated, but that's it and nothing else. I don't even feel that strongly about Jimmy Butler on this list. He's fourteen for me, so I think in the correct system, he shines. But we've seen it in very few playoff series. He's tough. He has the dog in him, as you say it, but. Other than that, yeah, Jimmy Butler isn't a player I feel particularly strong about, but any opportunity I get to say crappy things about Paul George, I'm going to use it. Really become a real Lakers fan here, just shitting on the Clippers guy whenever he can. (laughs) I had James Harden as number 10, but I actually, when I'm thinking about it and some of the things that I I put in criteria, I'm actually going to swap them with my number 11 guy who is Dame Lillard, who on Anu and Eric's list, you guys both had him in your top 10. Eric, you had him at eight. Anu, you had him at nine. So now he's number 10 on mine. So tell me, guys, about why you had Dame, where you put him. I think Dame, year after year, plays in a very strong conference where he doesn't have a particular lot of help around him. He has a a decent coach in Terry Stotts. But he seems to me, with the personnel that he usually has, he overperforms and he has overperformed against guys like Paul George, Russell Westbrook. (laughs) Paul George. (laughs) (laughs) So so I I want to elevate him on my list because he's a guy that I know I, I can assume that he will at the very least in series match his regular season output and oftentimes he will perform above his regular season output now 
the thing that would separate him from the upper half of players in my top 15 would be that I still think in a perfect world, he's more of a number two guy, but he still performs admirably against enormous odds. Yeah, similar to Eric, I have him here at my number nine. So for me, he's like similar to Curry in the sense that he's probably the next best shooter when it comes to his range. So maybe he doesn't have that Steph Curry gravity, but there is a sense of gravity to him that you have to look out for and constantly play against. And we'll take it for what he is. He's a monster scorer. He's one of the best players when playing behind a screen or like through screens where the situation is you can't switch or and you really can't go under his screen because he's going to shoot the lights out. And as we've seen many times over and over again, he's a clutch player and he's had monster playoff performances even when he's constantly doubled and schemed against. And I'm sure the Paul George fondly remembers a lot of those great clutch moments because he himself has said Dame shoots bad shots, but shit, if the shot goes in, is it really a bad shot? <laughs> but <laughs> Freaking Paul George. He, 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 his foot out he, of his mouth. He literally, he literally cried about that after... Dame hit that shot in his face like he pouted and went off the court and the first thing he said to like the media personnel was oh this was a bad shot who the fuck cares (laughs) honestly it was like one of the most funniest things I've ever seen an NBA player say it's like so ridiculous I mean anyway the one thing that you have to note about Damian Lillard though is that he can be schemed against that's why he ranks here on my list For years in the playoffs, Dame has been trapped. And the simple fact of the matter comes with two things. One, he's not the best playmaker. Yes, he's able to make good reads, but he's not like a LeBron or Jokic or Dantich level of passer where as soon as a double team comes, he's able to find that open man that is being cheated off of and swing the ball correctly and quickly enough. On top of that, I would say that it's in part with his teammates just not being at that level of caliber. But again, we're not really considering teammates when we're talking about this list. We're talking about the player themselves. And I think the last thing, and it's very obvious, is that he's a smaller player and he's not a great defender. And in the playoffs, especially when you're in the Western Conference with LeBron James, who is notorious for hunting weak defenders, you're not getting away scot-free. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head as to why I initially had Lillard outside my top 10 before shamelessly now including in my top 10, mostly because I just can't stomach having Harden there. So, uh, but Damian Lillard, he is as clutch as it gets. You know, some people have this reputation of being clutch, but they're actually not clutch. Lillard is the opposite. He's almost underrated as to how clutch he is. I can't think of another guy if you said, I need a bucket right now. Give me some of the ball. I'll give it to Damian Lillard and let him get a shot off. He is really a poor man's Steph Curry in a lot of ways. He's just the closest thing we have in the league to a Steph Curry. He's the only other guy with that kind of range and, and shooting ability from just about any angle. But the differences between them really are a reason why Lillard is at best 10th, at least on my list, and Steph is in my top five. And it's that he is a much worse number one passer out of traps. So he doesn't consistently find the short roll man or the open guy that Steph can, nor can he see over the defense like LeBron or Doncic. And he's not good at moving off the ball once he gets rid of the ball. This is the biggest difference between Steph and Dame, right? Dame will get rid of the ball to whoever the short roll man is, and then he just, that's the end of the play. 
So you can totally just defeat him by trapping him. And it happens time and time again in playoff series, as Anu pointed out. And defensively, he's just several notches below Steph, even in my opinion. He's clearly a below average defender. He's thin. He's short. He's someone who could hunt in a switch. So all those reasons, despite his incredible offensive talent, I can only put him as high as 10. For the record, I had Dame Dalla as number 11. Is that all you're going to say about him? <laughs> I mean, you... Hey, 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 he came out like, I'm the boldest person here. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's not much more I can say that hasn't already been said about Dame Dalla. I mean, I, I feel like my top 10 is pretty locked. I wanted to put Dame Dalla much higher, but when I think about how everyone above him on my list is either two-dimensional and elite at that or is so good on one end that it kind of makes up for it. Whereas Damian Lillard, don't get me wrong, is elite in his own ways and is ultra clutch. He's just a cut below than those guys when I break it down as I did. But because he's so clutch, I put him over Jimmy Butler or since we mentioned Harden, James Harden. I give him his due respect. So one guy that made Anu's top 10 at number 10 is Bam Adebayo, who was the guy that I shamelessly removed as from my number 15 spot to add Kyrie Irving, who I initially left off my list. And it's because I really do think Bam is an incredible player, even though he ultimately isn't on my list. But Anu, tell us why you have him in your top 10. I think that Bam is a guy who with very little playoff experience, really has shown out and shown just how good he really has the potential to be. And of course, this goes in part with a lot of things we talked about when speaking about Bam Adebayo in past podcasts. He's a defensive anchor for the Heat. And on top of that, he's also one of the offensive focal points as well. So let's talk about his defense. He's an elite defender, kind of like a watered-down AD, but he can still run any sort of defensive scheme that you can think of. He's quick. He can play a trap scheme. He can drop if needed because he's an elite rim protector. He can switch out onto guards. And he's just so fast-footed. He's very quick. He's almost like, if you can imagine, like a power forward, even though he plays a center role. But he's really a power forward with his body type and how quick he is. He's also very versatile, right? So he can take the ball off the glass and create for other people with his ball handling. He's shown him his ability to score the ball. He's developed a little bit of a mid-range game. He's started to take a lot of difficult shots out of his face up. And I think as far as playoff basketball goes, like a guy like that is really invaluable to have for a team. And it showed with how much the Heat relied on him. While I don't think he had a great finals performance, leading up to that point, he was a big reason why they made it to the finals in the first place. Did anybody else have Bam at all on their top 15? Yeah, he was in my top 15. And I just wanted to add to Anishan that everything he said was correct. Bam also at times in the finals, he was dealing with injuries. So he probably would have been more of a matchup issue for the Lakers if not for those injuries. I, I think AD matched up fairly well with them. But there's a lot that Bam does as far as versatility that he match up great with just about any team, but very few. I totally agree, Eric, and Anu as well. When you talk about his versatility, to me, only him and Anthony Davis have the ability to play any scheme out of the big men currently in the NBA. And that alone makes him really valuable. But that's not to say he's a slouch on offense. He, he's proven to be a pretty gifted passer. 
frankly, I, I'd say he's a better passer than even Anthony Davis is, although he doesn't have the refinement as an overall offensive player that that AD does. He doesn't have a consistent enough outside shot. Well, he's got a bit of a decent mid-ranger, but he's a little bit stiff when it comes to his isolation scoring, that kind of thing. But he's a good role man. He's shown the ability to post a little bit. He can hit a jumper. So he's a good overall offensive hub. He's no longer on my list after I added Kyrie, but I do respect Bam for sure. You know what's wild? Like you moved him off of your list. And I know this isn't the parameters of how we're doing our list, but if you were to, in a vacuum, ask the Nets in their front office, who would they rather have, Bam or Kyrie right now? What would the answer be? It's so funny you, you say that because that was my exact reason for putting Bam over Kyrie in the first place. I had this exact debate and, and I went with Bam for that reason. But I also think that's because the Nets are this one team that happens to also have a second star. Like I'm not entirely convinced that a lot of other teams would take Bam over Kyrie for just the playoffs. Like So you're not dealing with this bullshit in the regular season. You're just talking, taking him for just a playoff series. I think if he could be a number two option, I think a lot of teams would maybe take Kyrie over. Oh, Bam. yeah, I, I think I think you're definitely right. Definitely. But it, it's it's debatable. And, and that's why those are my two guys that were kind of competing for that last spot. So we've talked about everyone we have that's unique to our list in the top 10. So why don't we round out our list with our last five players who made our squads? Sure. So for me at... Number 11, I had Luka. 12, I had Embiid. 13, I have Donovan Mitchell. 14 is Giannis. 15, Chris Paul. Yeah, for me, at 11, I had James Harden. 12, Luka. 13, Kyrie. 14, Jimmy Butler. And 15, Bam Adebayo. For me, it was 11, Damian Lillard. 12, Jimmy Butler. 13, James Harden. 14, Paul George. And 15, I took a flyer here. More hypothetical than actual, but Bradley Beal. Ooh, that was a nice pick. He's definitely one of my considerations, yeah. but it's a consideration thing, but I mean, we haven't really seen enough of a body of evidence of him in the playoffs after he's become the player he was now. Obviously, we saw him years ago, but we'll, we'll definitely talk about him. Uh, I had as my last five, 11, I had James Harden, 12, I had Jimmy Butler, 13, I had Chris Paul. 14, I had Paul George. And 15, I now have Kyrie Irving. Bullying is effective. <laughs> That's true, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't we focus on some of the guys that made only a few of our lists, but not all of our lists. So let's talk about James Harden, who is number 11 on my list, number 11 on Eric's list, number 13 on Oswe's list, and not anywhere on Anu's list. So why don't we start with Anu? Why is James Harden not on your list? I think simply for me, it's just the lack of playoff success and the type of basketball that he plays. I, I, I get it. He is an elite playmaker. Like he's in that upper echelon of playmakers. But for years, he's always been, I guess, a score first option and then pass afterwards. So when I see him as a score first option, he's always taken while very difficult shots, extremely inefficient as well. It's it's different from like a, a Kawhi, a Kyrie, guys who take shots like that, but are consistently able to make it. With him, he's taking these step back threes that are just horrendous shots in the first place to take and shooting a very low percentage. On top of that, he's a player that really relies on getting to the free throw line. And as we've talked about, you can't have that sort of mentality when you're playing playoff basketball because half-court possessions really matter. So being able to play efficiently and scoring efficiently is extremely vital. 
And you're not going to consistently be able to get to the line like a guy like James Harden needs to do to be effective. He's also one of the worst defenders, like statistically and even through the eye test. He's just not a guy who's willing to really play defense. I guess in short spurts, he has this sort of identity of being a good post defender. But I mean, realistically, I I, I don't put too much stock into that because he's never had to actually guard against people who are very good post players. So he's able to make that switch and just play down low because a lot of guys can't bully him because he has a lot of size to him and weight. But on the perimeter, he's awful. Just not good all around for those reasons. And I have to not keep him on my list because of that. I mean, trust me, I I, I wish I could have kept him off my total top 15 because I have such a dislike for his game, even though I acknowledge how unbelievably talented he is. Let me go through some positives first. He's an elite offensive creator. And he's a guy who not only, I, I don't agree that he's a guy who looks for a shot first, then pass. There are times and entire playoff seasons in which he's been more of a creator. We saw that early in his career in OKC. I think we'll see that again this year on the Nets, based on just the way he's played, at least in the regular season. He is an A-plus tier passer out of the pick and roll. The problems with him, though, are several. First of all, he has more memorable playoff failures than just about any other player I can remember. A miserable 30% of his games that he's played in in the playoffs, he's had an effective field goal percentage of 40% or less. And then he's completely vanished outright in, in certain series. We saw that in the in the finals early in his career against the Heat. We saw that in playoff series where he was benched against the Clippers before this miraculous comeback. He was benched by Kevin McHale because he was so useless in a game seven. Right. We saw this in series after series where he kind of disappeared. We saw that at points in the series against the Thunder just last season. We've seen him get shut down by a 40 year old Manu Ginobili who famously then ends that series by blocking his shot. I'm not, I feel like I'm not even capturing some of the other failures. This is just off the top of my head. He's a guy who I think has legitimate questions about his durability and fitness when it comes to long term. He plays tons of minutes, he doesn't miss games in the regular season. But it really does seem like towards the back end of difficult playoff series, he wears down. And that's a problem. But I think the single biggest issue with him is not even his playoff failures. It's the fact that if you have James Harden on your team, you have to play a certain way on offense and a certain way on defense. On offense, he's going to need the ball in his hands. He's a miserable off-ball player. He doesn't move at all. He doesn't really do anything. He theoretically has gravity because he can hit threes. But, you know, he's really a guy who wants to shoot with the ball in his hands. And he's not going to move at all off ball. He doesn't know how to cut. He doesn't do any of that stuff. So if you have him on your team, he's going to have the ball, which is fine because he's, again, an A-plus creator. But that is a limitation. The second and far bigger concern is defensively. It's not just that he's a bad defender. It's a guy who can only play defense one way. Some of the other, this is kind of got under the radar, but he's basically a power forward on defense. I mean, do you guys realize that? He doesn't guard anyone but power forwards. He can't guard centers because, you know, you can't quite mess with them. He doesn't guard any sort of point guard or shooting guards anymore because he just simply doesn't have either the lateral quickness or the willingness to do that. So he guards, he's like effectively the team's post defender, which means you can only run one scheme with him. Switch he's, a, he's a big boy. Exactly, yeah. And that's what he does, <laughs> frankly. Yeah. And so if you have him on your team, you have to run switching. And he, he can hold up okay in a switch with, you know, a short shot clock situation. He's not going to get, you know, complete torch. And certainly if you're trying to post him, he he's thick as Eric pointed out, and, he, and it's relatively low center of gravity, so it'll be all right in those situations. But that's limiting. I mean, yes, switching is probably the best overall scheme you can run, but 
you have to switch all the time, you make your team vulnerable against players who are guys who destroy switches, right? You saw that just last year when LeBron and Anthony Davis just destroyed the Houston Rockets as a team when they were switching everything. And not even just at Harden, but they would find other people because switching exposes your whole team's defensive weaknesses. We might say that this year if they're switching everything with Kyrie as well. So those reasons, James Harden, despite his incredible offensive talent, you know, he's an all-time great offensive player. He just can't be in my top 10. And that's why I have him at number 11 on my list. So to succinctly piggyback on AC and say why I have Harden outside of my top 10 is very simple. He's not a versatile defender. Offensively, I couldn't imagine actually wanting to play around him, how he monopolizes the ball. And when he's asked to play off ball, which is very rare, he seems to be a malcontent and pouting somewhere in the corner and not particularly involved in the play. And it goes on some narrative that I was connecting to Giannis. Well, you want your MVP caliber player to have a better output when it gets to the playoffs. But James Harden is an example of a guy who gets to the playoffs and his output, even in increased minutes, goes down. And partially, like AC said, it goes down because he has these very memorable historical instances of coming up short. And we remember those more than we remember his instances of coming up big because statistically speaking, he's done that so significantly more as far as like input, as far as affecting his counting stats, that it seems as if he shirks from the biggest moment. So yeah, he's he's not one of my like elite, elite guys that I would want in the playoffs. I mean, he reminds me of Joel Embiid in that his game is largely predicated on his ability to get to the free throw line. And in the playoffs, when they're just not calling that as often, that's a large chunk of his production that's just gone. So I think that's part of why he's not that good. But to be fair, now I'm not a big Harden fan at all. But I will also say that it's very difficult to look at some of these guys' success or lack thereof when part of his career was spent facing against a Super Team Warriors. I think that's a pretty fair thing to say that that's a pretty insurmountable task. That's a good point, Asui. And he came really close to beating them. I mean, really close. As close as anyone did when you have the KD plus 73-win team. Facts. Now, there are those who would say that Harden lacks the cojones factor. I know I've been one of those people saying that in the past. And that's why I don't have him as high up, right? I have him at 13 after Jimmy Butler, who is cojones personified. But at the same time, James Harden is an incredible offensive player. I mean, the fact that the Nets have him right now make them truly overpowered, whereas before they were contenders. James Harden has that level of talent. I don't doubt his level of talent. So given that we're approaching this in a vacuum, not considering the types of teams they're facing or even the kind of players around him, I don't know. I I think that his numbers don't tell the full story behind it all. So I kind of give him a pass and I think he definitely does deserve being like a 13, but probably not any higher. 
And to your point, as we, it takes a special kind of offensive player to join a team with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. And for it to be a legitimate debate over whether Harden should have the offense turned over to him. And actually, that's exactly what they all decided. That this guy was probably because he could only play this way, but also probably because he's he is that good of a, a creator that even those two guys defer to him. Now, Anu was the only one of us who did not have Harden on his list. But he's also the only one of us who had Mitchell on his list. He ranked him 13th. So Anu, why did you have Donovan Mitchell? For me, again, these lists are very close. Like a lot of these guys, the margins aren't that far apart. So I just want everyone to know that and keep that in mind. <laughs> That's the way I kind of went into this. When I look at Donovan Mitchell, his playoff performance last year was just something otherworldly. Like I've never seen something like that. It was just absolutely incredible. Last year, he averaged an absurd 36 points per game, five rebounds and five assists on some insane effective field goal percentage it was 63 percent and guys remember these weren't just like simple shots like oh here let me just go take this layup no like this is like a step back pull up from a hella deep shots that he's he's taking and making on top of those things to consider for his offensive game he's also within that upper echelon of defensive guards he has great lateral quickness he has surprising strength given his size he's not that tall of a player and since he's also a willing playmaker, yes, he can take and make the big shots, but he's also willing to give up the ball if he sees an opportunity for someone else. Another reason why I really like him, especially for playoff basketball, is that there's this air to him that he's a player who's not scared of those big moments. And he, I feel like he's taken that responsibility ever since he came into the league. I will say that the collapse against the Nuggets is just like an awful look, but I don't necessarily pin that all on him. I also think the players around him sort of failed him. And again, like there was a situation in the game seven that they played where Mike Conley, had he had made the right play and I guess swung the ball over to Mitchell, you never know what could have happened instead of Conley taking that shot. I feel like in some ways I'm like high on the recency bias of Donovan Mitchell, but overall I think his skills translate so well to playoff basketball. It's interesting. Anu. I, I kind of watched that playoffs and came away with a very different impression of Donovan, especially based on what I've seen so far this year. I think, yes, he does have a willingness to take difficult shots, clutch shots. I think he has an over-willingness to take them. I think he takes bad shots. And yes, he made them at an absurd clip last year, but those weren't good shots. And this year, so far, statistically, in the regular season, his clutch moments, he hasn't made those shots because, frankly, they're not the best shots you can get. And that's the problem with Donovan Mitchell. He can get to the rim and dunk it on you, but he is small, and often he has to rely upon difficult shots. And yes, he has the wide base and, and sort of the strength overall to compete defensively. But he is not a good defender in terms of playoff basketball because he's just little. And, you know, at best, he's average, in my opinion. I don't think he's good enough offensively to merit consideration on a top 15 list, unlike a lot of the other people we discussed, given that he's at best average defensively, I would actually have him more in like the 20 to 25 range. I honestly didn't even seriously to consider him when it comes to this last five spots. To AC's point, I also did not consider Donovan Mitchell, and that is because of limited sample size. Typically, I like to have at least a couple years, unless you're like Luka Doncic, who just blows everyone's minds with how well he played last year i mean donovan mitchell played well but i need to see consistent high level of play from him to put him over some of the usual suspects whereas luca it's very clear that he is that guy i'm not convinced yet about that for donovan mitchell oh yeah i didn't even think about the guy 
I completely forgot who he was in relationship. <laughs> I actually think it's a better argument for Gobert to be in the top 15 than it is for Donovan. But though I don't have him either because he does have limitations in his game as well. But I think what he provides is more unique than what Donovan provides. I mean, there are a lot of guys who do. I mean, frankly, you could argue that Jamal Murray was just as impressive or more impressive in last year's playoffs against a better Utah defense than Donovan was against an atrocious Denver defense. So, you know, that's another factor to consider. But... There's one guy that's had a lot of slander in this pod, and that's Paul George. And the guy most responsible for that slander, Eric Fullwood, does not have him on his top 15. Neither does Anu. But Oswe and I both have him. Oswe had 14, and I also have him at exactly 14. So, Eric, here's your chance to really get into Paul George and why you don't think he belongs here. Have you ever met a man who walks around like he's an alpha, like he can fight, like he can do everything that a woman looks at and thinks, you know, he's admirable. He's someone I would want, but he consistently falls short of those high expectations. <laughs> well, I have news for you because Paul George is a physical manifestation of falling short. Oh, man. <laughs> Tell so, him how you really feel, Eric. <laughs> I, I, I'm just saying. So Paul George, a.k.a. Pandemic P., a.k.a. stripper avoider, a.k.a. I don't know what you did before you you got around guys who are a lot more alpha than yourself. He has a continuous habit of being a player who has little to no memorable playoff moments, but yet he reminds us of those inadequacies by making it as if he has memorable moments that all of the basketball viewing public realizes are non-existent. So whether that's picking a fight with Dame Lillard or whether that's saying that, you know, him and Kawhi Leonard were automatically the team to beat in the West when Paul George hasn't won anything in his life and his most memorable basketball like accolades are losing to LeBron when LeBron was in Miami and he was with the Pacers. Paul George is a continuous loser, whether that's in recollection or actual practicality for the goal of winning. Damn. <laughs> wow. I think Eric encapsulated it really well, so I don't really need to add too much. All I will say is Pandemic is just a guy who time and time again has failed in the playoffs. So if we're taking it for our expectations of what we've seen in the past and what we know the player to be, then I just can't have that expectation that Paul George is going to finally turn himself around and be the player that we really should be. Because in the regular season, he reminds me a lot of DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry back in the day where these guys would do so well in the regular season and then come playoff time, they become a shell of themselves and it's just embarrassing to watch. So for those reasons, I'm not high on pandemic. Sorry. Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, Paul George, one of those guys that just makes it easy, right? I mean, as Eric said, he's, he brags about himself. He just constantly can't help but put his foot in his mouth. And then he fails spectacularly, so the memes just write themselves from him getting catfished. To, I mean, there's just like there's just so many things you can just go on and on about Paul George. Oh shit, I forgot about the catfishing. <laughs> right. 
You know, I call Paul George Master Fisherman for a reason. <laughs> no, that's a great nickname, Master Fisherman. <laughs> yeah, and he has failed in the playoffs time and again. In 32% of his playoff career games played, he has an effective field goal percentage lower than 40%. That is worse than even James Harden. And really only behind Joel Embiid amongst major star players in the NBA. All those might be valid reasons to leave him off a list like this. But I have a couple of reasons why I think he still deserves to be considered a top 15 player entering this year's playoffs. I think we can't completely overlook that he did lead an Indiana team against a much more talented Miami team in those like 2012-2013 range series. He took him to Game 7. He had moments where LeBron even dapped him up because he was kind of going shot for shot with him. He had a couple of series after that where he was a sole guy on the Pacers facing LeBron. Where Yeah, he wasn't consistent, but he had games where he at least had tremendous production. But I think if you look at him as a number one option, he's, he's going to let you down. He's not that kind of player. He is, in my opinion, though, a very good number two option. And that's something that you can't say about a lot of players. We talk about you know, the top 15 or even top 20 players because his game easily fits into whatever this other star player on your team does because he shoots really well. He's an amazing shooter and he plays elite defense for his position. Just a couple years ago in season with the Thunder before he got hurt, he was, well, he actually ended up number three in the MVP race and he was absolutely a candidate for defensive player of the year. I still think if you actually watch the film last year, he was by far their best guy. It's still chasing around Jamal and doing various things like that. So he still has that versatility, even though Jamal went off on a couple of those games. But the fact that he is such a good shooter and such an elite defender makes him someone who, regardless of his playoff failures, belongs in the top 15, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, you pretty much said everything I was going to say, especially about his Indiana days. People love to joke about the meme that is Master Fisherman Paul George, but let's not forget that he was balling out when he played for Indiana. And let's also not forget that the man's leg literally snapped in half. And since then, he hasn't been quite the athlete that he was prior to that. And he's also dealt with a lot of injuries and, I guess, injuries of the mind and other distractions off court. So. <laughs> Not injuries of the mind. What the hell was that? <laughs> that is the greatest euphemism I've ever heard. <laughs> All I can say is Paul George is so much better than people give him credit for. And I'm saying that as someone who loves throwing out the name Pandemic P or PG-13% or Pandemic PP. But still, I will say that if you give him a good team, you give him a good coach, he would be one of the best number two options in the league without question. So just to leave with some slander of Paul George, their most impactful player on those Pacers teams was a guy, Roy Hibbert, who was out of the league within three years of being in the playoffs with them. And Paul George... When I think about him, the song that immediately comes to mind is TLC's formative work, No Scrubs. I don't <laughs> want no scrubs. A George is a guy can't get no love from me. 
hanging in a passenger side of his best friend's ride, which is Kawhi right now, trying to holler at me, us basketball viewers. Man, I love that song. Yeah, and now you're going to think about Paul George when you think about it. Now I'm just imagining like the music video with Paul George's face <laughs> just like bubbling around. <laughs> I also real brief. You're the only guy who had Bradley Beal on your list at number 15. Tell us why. My case for Bradley Beal is that I know a lot of people would have potentially put Jason Tatum as their 15th. Obviously, I'm sure all of our fans in Boston would definitely put him there. When you compare the numbers that Bradley Beal had to a guy who's considered one of the best players in the league in Jason Tatum, Bradley Beal's playoff numbers are comparable, if not better, than Jason Tatum's. And this is before he became this crazy dynamic player that we see him today. So mark my words, if the Wizards get into the playoffs, they're going to be a problem to face. And I really think that the numbers that he has so far don't really capture the kind of dominant beast he can be in the playoffs. And of of course, it's all speculative, but that's how it's projecting forward in my mind. Shit, I'll just be happy as a DC resident having an excuse if they actually make it to the playoffs, which they won't to go to any type of games now that I'm vaccinated. So hopefully, knock on wood, Oswee's prediction is somewhat correct. But I mean, I just want to be an in-person viewer of a game. So yeah. I think that Bradley Beal absolutely has potential if they make the playoffs to make a lot of noise here. He's in a really interesting scoring race right now with Steph Curry as to who will end up as the scoring leader this season. And clearly, as us we pointed out, he's not the player he used to be when he was kind of the second option after John Wall. And I would argue even back then, he pretty much outplayed John Wall consistently. And I actually love John Wall. I love his game. I love him as a passer and everything that he brings. But Beal outperformed him. He was the guy that other teams were really afraid of. So I think his game translates really well to the playoffs. And I'm excited to see what he could do. I hope that they make some noise. All right. And I think that's a great place to stop. We went really in depth and we had to see how the playoffs really pan out in order to see if our predictions were accurate or not. But as always, we'd just like to say thank you so much for listening today. If you like what you heard, please make sure to like, comment, subscribe, and catch us wherever you get your podcast at. All right. See you later, guys.